Interested in real estate? How about wealth? Well, they go hand in hand. And here, you'll learn all about it. Welcome to Be The Bank, a podcast where we discuss and debate the topics centered around real estate investing. Your host, Justin Bogard, shares insights into investing in real estate to create real wealth and passive income for you and your family. He'll share stories of real estate investments done right, walk you through the process of owning a real estate note, and most importantly, educate you so you can be the bank. This is Be The Bank, brought to you by American Note Buyers. Now, here's your host, Justin Bogard. Welcome to episode number 16 of season five of the Be The Bank uh, podcast, brought to you by American Note Buyers. Today, we're actually going to be discussing a little bit on how to communicate with borrowers when they don't speak your you know, common language. For example, I speak English and I need to talk to somebody that speaks Spanish. Well, how do you kind of get that uh, translation across to where you can have you know a good conversation and find out what the needs and wants of the borrower are or the issues that they have? And then we're also going to talk about current pricing in the performing and non-performing loan space as it pertains to you know the average everyday note investor in our industry. Stay tuned. Hey, Richard, welcome. How are you? Thank you. Good. And you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Summer is just about over. School is getting ready to start as early as next week as we're recording this broadcast. So it has really flown by the summer. Have you had any more of those uh, magnificent uh, uh, rain and thunder and lightning storms uh, that we had when I visited you last? That was kind of fun. You know, the other, it's funny you asked that because the other night we did, it was when I was sleeping and I remember waking up, you know, probably like three or four in the morning. I was obviously in a, in a, in a fog state of mind. And I remember there was a bunch of like lightning going on outside and, and loud, loud rain. But then when I woke up in the morning, I thought it was a dream because everything seemed like to be bright and sunny and no, no issue, <laughs> you know, no issue outside. So, but yeah, we did have a, a pretty bad thunderstorm roll through recently. I, I love those. We, you know, we used to live in DC and for a, a fair amount of that time we lived in, uh, lived on a golf course. And so we could sit off the, off the third hole and, uh, had a great view of, uh, sort of the, the East we were slightly west looking to the east, and all the storms would come down from the east. So we'd get uh, lawn chairs and put them out on the, on the uh, front porch and watch the storms come down uh, the hillside and whatnot and see all that lender, thunder and lightning. And that was, uh, that was pretty fun, fun for little kids and everything else. So Yeah. I always like watching the storm stuff. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool. If those of you that would like to see the video stream of our podcast, we do this, we film this on our YouTube channel, the American Note Buyers YouTube channel. So please check us out and subscribe there as well. So today, Richard, I started mentioning about um, communicating with borrowers when they don't speak your language. I believe mm-hmm. you speak a little bit of Spanish, but you don't have like a like a secondary language that you speak fluently. Is that that correct? That is correct. So I'm not, I'm not sure what you do, but <clears throat> I tend to have uh, quite a bit of Spanish, mainly Spanish only speaking uh, borrowers recently with some loans that we've bought, especially locally here in, in the Indianapolis area. And so I find that some of them actually can speak both Spanish and English and read it and write it very well. <clears throat> and some of them just, you know, are just barely 
as much as I can speak Spanish is about as much as they can speak English. So there's like, you know, some almost like conflict there to where I'm trying to ask them something or they're trying to ask me something and it's, it's hard to get across. So at times in the past, I've had like somebody that speaks that's bilingual and would get on a phone call with me and I would say, okay, say this to the borrower. And then they would say it and they would listen to the board response and they would say it back to me in English. And, and, and we would get through a conversation that way, but I've been using text message a lot because a lot of people just like text messages. And mm -hmm. so when I use the Google Translate app from Spanish to English or English to Spanish, I'm able to like copy and paste information in there to kind of get the point across. And it, it seems to work, work pretty well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a close approximation. Um, yeah. As you said that, I, I just, just remembered, this popped into my mind, uh, a friend of mine a couple of years ago, he works in the hotel industry and uh, quite often works behind the the front desk and he's uh, works at a very nice hotel in uh, Mexico city. And he said, you'd, you'd be amazed at the number of Americans that come in there and just want to put an O or an E on the end of the English word and think that it's Spanish. Like just say, can I have a Romero, you know? <laughs> and he says, it's just kind of laughable, you know, what some of these people say sometimes and they think they're speaking sort of, they think it's pigeon Spanish, but it's nowhere even close. But anyway, uh, yeah. Google Translate does a far better job than that. And also, uh, if you have a Mac, Apple Translate has a very good program. But um, I tend to use, in our travels, uh, I tend to use um, Google Translate quite a, not, quite a lot and actually got all around the countryside in Vietnam last time I went uh, with Google Translate. And because um, a lot of people in Vietnam speak nothing but Vietnamese periods. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's amazing how it can take what you want to say and put it in another language. Now there, there is, everybody has those specific regions within certain areas of like, you know, the United States, how they talk a little bit different in New York or in Chicago or, you know, maybe, maybe somewhere else. And you hear different tones and different words that they kind of change and stretch and, and move. So the Google translate obviously won't catch all that. So sometimes I have a, a borrower that speaks mainly Spanish and they speak a different type of Spanish. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it's just a more different region, I guess. And so when I put it in Google translate, it just spits, spits back the same thing to me because <laughs> it's just like throwing up his hands going like, I don't know what this is, but they're using like the same letters. So I think when it comes to a text, they do shorthanded text words as well in Spanish to where the translator won't exactly know what it means because it's not going to read context, right? It's just going to go straight character for character as far as what it does. So if you can get past that, there the communication work, works well. But ultimately, I think if you had a true translator that could speak, you know, the language fluently on both sides, I think that's ultimately the best way to go. But at least the Google Translate can, like you said, it, it can get you by and get you down the road pretty far. It can. You know, um, last time I was in New York, I was on the subway. And this woman from who seem, seemingly was from New Jersey was there with her small child. And she very lovingly, the child was, you know, bouncing all around the subway. And, and she said, you know, uh, she said, careful, I don't want you to break your face. You know, and that was, you know, in typical New Jersey style, a nice way of saying, I don't want you to get hurt, darling. I'm not sure how Google Translate would, would translate, uh, break your face. But uh, yeah. anyway. That's fun. If anybody has any funny 
translator stories that they've used on a, some sort of translator app, we'd love for you to write in the comments, you know, kind of what that was. And, and we'll, we'll probably end up sharing that in our next, next episode. So we encourage you to do that and go to our American note buyers, YouTube channel under episode 16. And you can read your, you can put your comment in there in season five. Yeah. You can tell that, that, that we're, we're in August here and in the uh, uh, vacation season, right? Because this topic is just not all that, uh, heavy, you know. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not nice, heavy. but uh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of vacations, I I went on a, a fun little vacation not too long ago. Uh, actually, a week ago from the time we we're recording this, and mm-hmm. we went to Cedar Point, which is an amusement park in Sandusky, Ohio. It's okay. an actual point that comes off of Ohio into Lake Erie, and you know it points you like in the direction of Canada. Well, on this point, they've built a giant amusement park. Like if you walk a loop around the amusement park, it's about a two mile loop. It's, it's wow. huge. Okay. Yeah. And they have tons of roller coasters and they have a water park there too. Well, we, we went for the roller coasters. So it was me and my daughters, my dad, my sister, and, and, um, uh, two of her kids went as well. And it was kind of fun. We stayed there for a couple of days and, got to stay in a hotel like inside the park. So we just got to walk out like right to the gate from the hotel. So it it was pretty fun, but man, we were worn out Richard when we were done. If I remember correctly, you're a, you're a a, a real roller coaster aficionado, right? Well, I do like to ride them and my daughters definitely like to ride them, which is, which is great for us as a kind of a a tight knit group, but I had my Apple watch on and my phone in my pocket. So, Mm -hmm. I could record all the steps and the, you know, the mileage that it would calculate. And so I believe we averaged about maybe 20,000 steps per day. And mm-hmm. it came out close to a little bit over nine miles that we were walking in one day. So we did that for two days. And so by the time the second day was done, we were, we were all just like, you know, timeout or throwing in the towel going, man, my, our feet can't take it anymore. So had- did you lose any weight? Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, I definitely yeah. felt like we lost weight. We we actually would buy the all day uh, dining plan pass to where you'd wear a wristband. You'd pay like I don't know what it was like forty or forty five dollars for the day, and you could eat as many times as you want as long as it was like ninety minutes apart. So if you're staying at the park for the entire duration that's open, I mean that's that's like a twelve hour stretch, thirteen hour mm-hmm. stretch right there. So you could mm-hmm. you could eat several meals if you wanted to. Now. I was trying not to eat that much because all they had there was like not healthy stuff, mm-hmm. you know. If you can imagine, mm-hmm. so it was a lot of a lot of beef, a lot of uh, you know greasy greasy food. So, anyways, it was a fun vacation. I like it. I'm looking forward to doing it again next year, next summer. Cool, cool. But that's not that's another light topic for today. Let's let's get into a, a more a serious note conversation topic today, and that is the buzz that I'm hearing, and I think that you're hearing as well because we talked a little bit about this offline, is really the pricing when it comes to buying uh, non-performing loans or performing loans in our environment today. Uh, we know that the interest rates have really jumped up, Richard, um, over the past year quite a bit, and I think they're still hovering around 7% today as as we're recording this, this podcast today. And a lot of people continually ask me the questions like, how does the mortgage rate you know, affect pricing uh, how does it affect your industry as well? And and I say it really doesn't affect it. But Richard, maybe what does affect our pricing is really who's holding all the paper and why are they holding all the paper? And then what are they willing to sell it for, for when they want to sell it? And I, I think that really sets the pricing for our industry as secondhand, uh, you know, secondary market note buyers. What, mm-hmm. what do you think? 
Well, I th- what I think is interesting is, is that the, uh, we're experiencing what I would uh, call the tsunami that wasn't. Everybody everybody was saying, oh, gee, we're going to get by this tsunami of of, uh, non-performing paper. It's going to come out of the banks because of the pandemic and blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, it just hasn't happened. You know, there was too many uh, forbearance programs. Uh, As a lot of us know, last time around we did this, rates were high, equity was low. Now, guess what? Um, Rates have crept up a little bit, but when most of this stuff hit the market, Rates were low and equity was high. So a lot of people were able to refinance yeah. um, and or sell their homes or or get their forbearance or whatever. So uh, maybe I'm missing something, but I'm not seeing any huge uh, increase, uptick um, in non-performing paper or, or even re-performing paper. I mean, yeah, a little bit maybe, but it's kind of like rising tide as opposed to a tsunami. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. The way that you said that a few minutes ago about the the rates were low and the equity was high, well now the rates are high and the equity is still high, <laughs> so right. it's like one part of the equation hasn't changed and the other part has just flipped, has has done the inverse of, of what it is. So I I just think that the prices for the secondary market at which we buy for aren't going to change a whole lot right now, just because of what you just mentioned and. Yeah, I mean, the way I read read it is that rates were low long enough for anybody who was in uh, real pandemic problems mm-hmm. uh, to do whatever they needed to do. And so most of them did just that. Either they wrote it out, they went out and got another job, they got forbearance or whatever. And yes, rates are higher now. So it is slowing down the new home buyer market and things like that. But it really hasn't impacted us that much. <clears throat> You know, in the secondary market and the, the the private market. Yeah, so so the pricing hasn't really done much to us as far as what we buy it for in the secondary market. It's kind of, it's kind of been the same for the last, I don't know, I'd probably say four, four years at least. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. amount of inventory, I think, is starting to change as far as origination inventory on the private mortgage, excuse me, the private mortgage market. Mm-hmm. Because I am seeing a lot more chatter on, you know, private Facebook groups, public Facebook groups about people that are kind of lightly experienced real estate investors that are starting to see like, hey, maybe I should originate a note. Maybe I should sell my property on seller financing. And they're asking questions like, how do people do this? If someone wants to buy this note, what are they looking to buy for? So it's it's interesting that I'm starting to see that a lot more now. Right. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I am. And and. What I've, I mean, if you think about it, that makes complete sense because even though rates are, or not rates, I'm sorry, prices are down a little bit from what we have had, uh, we're still at historic highs. So maybe somebody could have gotten $150,000 for their house and now they can only get 130. I don't know what, you know, pick a, pick a number, but it's still so much higher than they ever thought they were going to get. And they're saying, gosh. Uh, this is one of the best times for me to create a note mm-hmm. because uh, I do have more equity. I can sell it for a higher price. I can get a bigger down payment. It's a safer transaction. Um, I'd like to have the money. So let's do that. Um, so it just makes a lot of sense that we'd start seeing an increase in volume. Now the question is education. So how much education do we have out in the marketplace for, for novice seller finance years? to make 
good decisions on having secure documentation, making the right uh, decisions to protect the borrower and the lender itself, and for the secondary lender that may come in and end up buying this paper? Not enough, but you know what? Uh, probably quite soon we can go to chat GGP and say, write me a seller finance note that covers all of the important <laughs> factors. And it will do that. <laughs> have you done that? Have you typed in that exact phrase? I have not, but I, I bet I, I, what I have done is, is something similar to that and sec on other subjects. Yeah. And I've been amazed at how good it is really. And every once in a while you hit a boner and you go oh, now that's just, it's just too general. But in but uh, there's been several instances where I've done things like that, and it's remarkable how how good it is, especially if you can use ChatGPT before as opposed to three and a half. Yeah, it's I've used it a couple times to help write some marketing or sales things, and it 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 gets you where you need to go, like like on the highway. You just got to pick the lane you want to be in, as far as you know, if you want to be more persuasive, you want to be more professional or funny or sarcastic. Like it's pretty interesting how it can change its tone pretty quickly on how, how you want the message to be delivered, but it doesn't give you the exact thing you want. It gets you like, I think what you said, 95% there and you're really close. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I'm, I must admit that. So whoever the programmers are for, for all this, they've, uh, they've put a little bit of uh, humor into it uh, too, which I kind of like. So, you know, I'd say something like, uh, write me uh, a mortgage note. And the response I get is, well, certainly, I'd be happy to write that for you. <laughs> and then you, you get this note and you're going, oh, okay, that's fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. We, we have talked about that before, chat GDP, and it's yeah. it's kind of amazing how what it does. And I'm sure it's, we're going to look back a year later from now and be like, Oh my gosh, it's so different than what it was, you know, as we're talking today, you know, as far as perfecting it and having it, you know, do a better job of understanding what you're trying to say and what you're trying to accomplish. But uh, it's definitely something you should look into if you haven't done that already. Those, those of you that are listening to us here. Yeah. It's something that it's worth uh, keeping ahead of and, and figuring out because on the one hand, a lot of people are saying it's going to eliminate a lot of jobs. I really think it is going to eliminate a lot of jobs. Um, but I think, you know, uh, I, I think the creation of the automobile uh, put a lot of horse and buggy carriers and makers out of business, too. So I think it, we will morph into something. Um, this is going to be a huge morph, but it will affect uh, our industry as well as everybody else's. I. I think in a short term, it could replace a lot of jobs, but it's just like anything else that a computer does that ends up, you know, replacing somebody's job. There always has to be somebody that designs it and perfects it and understands it and programs it on the back end. So I think as many jobs that you end up losing short term, short term it creates uh, longer term jobs on, on the back end of it as well. And it just, just requires us as, as users up front just to be more educated as far as going after, you know, employment and getting just the proper education on, on understanding, like this is a niche that you need to go after. Like we're always short on nurses and doctors, right. And, and hospitals. So it's like, there's always an, a need for people to go down that industry to, you know, fill, fill those jobs for everybody. So. Yeah. I think, I think it will morph. It's just uh, morphing more quickly than we're used to in the past. I think so. Yeah. I think that this, this day and age, I, I think you're right. Now, do they have an app on your phone? Do you know that you can do it on your phone? Cause I've just used it on the desktop before. Uh, that's a good question. I don't, I'm sure you could use it. Uh, they don't have an app. 
or they, they may have an app. I don't think they do, but you can use it. I just use it through Google on my desktop. So you can certainly do that in your phone. Interesting. All right. Have you had anything else interesting happen to you this, this past uh, week or two that I haven't heard from you already? Note in the notes, note space. Uh, not really. Um, I, 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 uh, for those of you who were, I can't remember what program we did it on, but I, I, uh, was discussing last time that there are, uh, two, uh, warrants for my arrest. Oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> and, uh, it's because, uh, I have a property in St. Louis. They set, uh, two court dates, uh, for the foreclosure proceedings. And since I hold the land contract, I'm technically the owner or my company is. And I didn't make my court appearances because they were sent to the wrong address. They were sent to an old address. So I'm actually going to go to virtual court tomorrow and find out how to resolve all that. So I can, uh, for those of you who are curious about all that, I, I A, didn't even know that could happen. Um, but B, I'm sure it can be resolved fairly easily. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but it's, you know, at this point, it's fairly humorous. May cost me a little bit of money to unwind, but uh, keep us posted, Richard. Hopefully, by the time we record the next one, we'll have an answer. You know, I may have a you know, I may be sitting here in a in a little suit that's got little stripes across it or something. I don't know. <laughs> an orange jumpsuit. Orange jumpsuit. <laughs> I don't think that's they right. wear the black and white, uh, you know, horizontal stripes anymore. So no, I'm dating myself. There you go. Right. Another topic: um, portfolio management. Mm. So just to kind of step into what it's like to be a portfolio manager. Yeah. What's uh, going on for the fund for you? The, the dynamics of, of a fund or just a large portfolio in general is, is quite humorous. You, you obviously hope to have everybody on the positive direction and everything going great. Cause you know, you're obviously making the most money you can, but you always have a few loans in a, in a portfolio that, you know, aren't going the way that you want. And, and may kind of drag some things down, but, but it's funny. Um, you have polar opposites, Richard, to where you have some loans that are just paying ahead and paying early and eager to get the loan matured and paid off. And you have other loans that get, you know, two or three months behind and they, they kind of drag a little bit. So those two kind of offset each other and everything else just kind of lands in the sweet spot in the middle to where they're just, you know, they're on time or they're just a little bit late. And it's just really cool to see that in the portfolio in general. So it, it just goes to show when we talked about this before, I think we talked about this on a special webinar we had to where it's much better to own a, a large, vast amount of notes as it is to own one because you want the one note to be paying really well and, and to go really well for you instead of the one that's dragging you down. Cause if you have, you know, a bunch of loans, if one of them goes down or a couple of them go down and slow you down, it's like, it doesn't really pull down the entire portfolio. It, it, you don't really see a lot of effect from it. Mm -hmm. So we have good balance in our portfolio is what I'm saying. And that's, that's what's nice to see in a, as a portfolio manager. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of surprises. Uh, hopefully, most of them are for the good. But yeah, there's our loan, like our, our what we call our sister's loan, which is basically we got out of a got because there was dispute between two sisters, and uh, there was non-payments, and now there's a lot of payments, and it turns out it's going to be sold, and been a very profitable deal. Yes, some of the some of the more interesting deals turned out to be the more profitable deals because all we do is just listen mm -hmm. and we 
we try we try to fix by just helping the borrower and putting the borrower's needs before ours and they end up coming back to us and, and end up making the most profitable loans for us. So it's, it's, we're pretty happy with those. Definitely. Right. All right, Richard, that's about all the time we have for today. Thanks again for being on our podcast episode number 16, season five of the be the bank podcast brought to you by American note buyers. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, American note buyers, and we will see you on the next episode. Yeah. If anybody has any topics they would like us to address too, please uh, you know, drop an uh, email to either Justin or me or text, and we'll be glad to put it on the show. Info at anbfunds.com. Till next right. time, see ya. Okay, see ya. Thanks for listening to Be The Bank. We hope you learned something from today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. Plus, check out our channel on YouTube and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Be The Bank and on Instagram at Be The Bank Podcast. Be The Bank is sponsored by American Note Buyers. Thanks again for listening.